Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hello. Welcome back. This is going to be for Romans chapter 1. So I'll read a little introduction about the book of Romans. The letter to Rome was written from Corinth near the end of the third journey, most likely during the winter months of A.D. 57 to 58. I should also tell you um, about the epistles, generally speaking, that the way that they're organized in the Bible is not chronologically but by the size of the epistle. In other words, Romans is the largest one, then it goes down from there to uh, until you get to the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is a pretty big one too, but because they weren't sure uh, when they were compiling the Bible if it was actually written by Paul, so they kind of put it at the end of the epistles of Paul. Um, but then you have uh, you know James and Peter and John and Jude afterwards, um, but uh, at least they're, they're organized by size. Um, and that's why they're organized in the way they are. So we're not reading them in chronological order. We're just reading them according to how they show up in the Bible. Paul's letter to the Romans is his most theologically significant letter, whereas most of his other writings were regulatory in nature. His epistle to the Romans was purely theological. This makes this letter a treat for those who wish to gain greater insight into Paul's understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The letter was probably written sometime early in the spring of A.D. 57 while Paul was on his third mission. It appears that Paul was at Corinth when he wrote this letter. He wrote this epistle in advance of his coming to Rome as part of his future mission to Spain. It seems that at least one of the reasons for writing the letter was to inform the Roman saints of his coming and to establish his call of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, of which Rome was the political center. In part, then, the letter was to set forth the doctrinal basis of the gospel going to the Gentiles. Indeed, the epistle to the Romans was the doctrinal approach Paul would use in teaching the Gentiles, and that was by Bruce Satterfield. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, a servant of God, called of Jesus Christ, and separated or set apart or ordained to the gospel, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning the son of the son, his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. The Greek text omits the name and title at this point and declared or appointed or decreed or set forth the Son of God with power by the Spirit according to the truth through the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship through obedience and faith in his name to preach the gospel among all nations, among whom ye also are called of Jesus Christ. Wherefore I write to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, the Apostle Paul addressed his epistles to the members of the church called to be saints. The word saints comes from a Greek word, hagioi, meaning holy ones. In the Old Testament, the Lord commanded his covenant people, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The same concept was taught by the Savior in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Thus, saints is a title borne by members of the church who through the covenants of baptism are, or the covenant of baptism are committed to becoming holy ones like unto God. That was by Ralph, or David Seeley and Joanne Seeley. 
And then he continues in verse 7, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the greeting where he says grace and peace is to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Grace is, um, anyway, grace is to the Jews. No, peace is to the Jews, grace to the Gentiles. I think that's how it is. Anyway, verse 8. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ that you all are steadfast and your faith is spoken or proclaimed of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, that you may be kept through the Spirit in the gospel of his Son. Making request of you to remember me in your prayers, I now write unto you that you will ask him in faith, that if by any means at length I may serve you with my labors and may have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, that it may be established in you to the end that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was hindered hitherto, that I might have come that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both both to the wise and to the unwise. And as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Harold B. Lee once stated, What is the gospel then? So often I hear my brethren saying something that I wish we would not say quite that way, that the gospel is a way of life. It is not a way of life. It is the way to eternal life. It is the science of salvation. Spencer W. Kimball taught that the faithful conform to the will of God when complying with the gospel plan of ordinances. Now, what is the gospel of which we speak? It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the code of laws and commandments which help us to become perfect and the ordinances which constitute the entrance requirements. The ordinances begin with baptism by immersion by by proper authority for the remission of sins and for entrance into the earthly kingdom of God. It is followed by the reception of the Holy Ghost, which is promised to every person who qualifies. The priesthood is given, which opens further doors the endowment is an indispensable feature in preparation for eternal life, and then the sealing in the holy temple of a man and a woman for an eternal relationship. These are indispensable. No one can ever reach the heights of exaltation and eternal life without all of them. That was by President Kimball. Verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed through faith on his name, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who love not the truth but remain in unrighteousness. After that which may be known of God is manifest to or among or within them, that which may be known of God to a degree at least is manifest in man, that is, man has a body, is endowed with reason and intellect, possesses certain characteristics, enjoys certain attributes, exercises certain powers, and so it is in, his, in greater measure with deity. God is like man become because man is like God. And that was by Elder McConkie. Verse 20, For God hath revealed unto them the invisible things of him from the creation of the world, which are clearly seen, things which are not seen, being understood by the things that are made, through his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, man lives and moves and has a being, so does God. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
professing themselves to be wise, and they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible or immortal God into an image made like to corruptible or perishable man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Man once knew God by revelation, but that knowledge was lost through disobedience. Wherefore, God also gave them to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, or sufferings, or passions of dishonor, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. In other words, homosexuality is a serious sin. And even as they did like like to retain or discern or choose God according to some knowledge, God gave them over to, to a reprobate, in other words, to be worthless or unable to stand the test, opposite of the elect, uh, the, to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient or fitting or proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, or strife or discord, deceit, malignity, whispers, in other words, gossipers, backbiters, these are slanderers, haters of God, despiteful, in other words, violent or overbearing, proud, boasters, investors of inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, and some who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit sin or commit such things are worthy of death are inexcusable not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them or they approve of them or sympathize with them bruce McConkie said members of the church are sometimes guilty of the same sins that afflict natural fallen man nat- fallen man generally when they are their condemnation is greater than than it otherwise would be because of their greater light and knowledge in addition, many acts become sinful for the saints that would not be so considered had they not taken upon themselves the obligations of the gospel. Thus, the Lord says to his people, There are those among you who have sinned exceedingly, yea, even all of you have sinned. But verily I say unto you, Beware from henceforth, and refrain from sin, lest sore judgments fall upon your heads. All the sins named by Paul and Mormon and others of the prophets sometimes lie at the door of the saints, but there is more of, of which they must beware, for of him unto whom much is given, much is required. And he who sins against the greater light shall receive the greater condemnation. Ye, can, ye, ye call upon my name for revelations, and I give them also you, and inasmuch as ye keep not my sayings which I gave, give unto you, ye become transgressors, and justice and judgment are the penalty which is affixed unto my law. So, for example, a, a person that's not a member of the church, if he drinks coffee, it's not a sin, because he hasn't made a covenant not to. But for members of the church, it, it would be a sin, because we've made covenants uh, not to do that. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter, and uh, we'll see you next time. Come back. See ya. Bye.